This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. Well, thanks for tuning in today to the NC Baptist Podcast. My name is Brian Upshaw, and I serve on staff here with North Carolina Baptist. And I am thrilled today to welcome to our podcast, Dr. Robbie Gallaty. Joining us by Zoom, Robbie is the senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And he's also the speaker for our upcoming disciple-making conference on February the 20th. So, Robbie, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Just excited to talk to you, Robbie, because um, we've had a connection that goes back. We have ties back to New Orleans. We tread some of the same paths, but not at the same time. So some of our mentors are the same. Some of our friends are the same. So I just give God glory for how he's using you, how he's using Long Hollow, what he's doing there. And uh, we're excited to share what you're learning and what God's doing with our state on February the 20th. So just kind of give us a preview. What is God doing at Long Hollow, and what's he doing personally in you during this season? Yeah, it's a great great question. Uh, I guess we're all learning a a new season of ministry, right? I mean, we're in post-COVID times where uh, people that left before COVID are not coming back. We're doing ministry a little different. We're rethinking ministry. You know, we tell our staff uh, right when COVID was happening, we really believe this is an interruption, not a disruption. So if that's the case, how can we, you know, navigate this? And one of the things COVID did, I will say, Brian, this is what COVID did. COVID gave the country a national test on disciple making. What Mm -hmm. do I mean? Nobody was asking for this test. Everybody believed they could pass this test, including many churches that, that I know of. But what happened was it showed us, are you making the kind of disciples who could be self feeders and investors separate and apart from the geographical location of the church you attend every week. And what happened was it gave us a national test and most churches flunked it. I say that, you know, jokingly, but not really. I mean, let's think about it. The first three, four weeks, everybody's excited. Online church, I get to be home, I'll disciple my family. And then in one month, what happened? The wheels fall off and nobody's coming, nobody's attending, nobody's discipling. And we realized that we needed to be more focused on investing in people who could be self-feeders, take responsibility of their faith and pass it on. And so Hmm. we at Long Hollow experienced a revival. uh, And I think you were a part of that toward the end of it in 2021. And uh, so we're at the end of that in a new season of Long Hollow, which really catapulted us forward. And I'm learning a couple of things about uh, myself and even the Lord and the Holy Spirit. One of the great things I learned is uh, who the Holy Spirit was. Hmm. You know, for a Baptist, I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church, former Roman Catholic growing up. We gave a nod to the Holy Spirit. We were nervous of even people listening there. You're like, Holy Spirit, Robbie, what are you talking about? You know, (laughs) don't go so far charismatic, you know. But the reality is, as I sat on the porch for 10 months in silence and solitude, kind of bending my ear to the accent of the Holy Spirit, the Lord began to show me, Robbie, you know more about my son who was here for 33 years 
than my Holy Spirit, who's been here for 2,000 years. And uh, so I learned a couple of things, and I just kind of disarmed those who are listening. Number one is the Holy Spirit is a way better pastor, a way better counselor, and a way better leader than you and I ever will be. I mean, I've learned that. Number two is, and he's a better preacher and speaker, by the way. You let him speak through you. It's always better. Number two is he's not weird. (laughs) Now, people have made him out to be, but he's not weird. (laughs) And number three, he wants the best for you. If you listen and, 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 and are aware of his presence, and here's the final thing I learned. One of the roles Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will assume is he will be a counselor. Remember, he says, I'll send the counselor to you. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, uh, pastor, leader in the church, when was the last time you consulted with the Holy Spirit? I mean, if he's the best mm-hmm. counselor, if he's the best leader, director in your life. And so I was guilty, as many of you are under conviction like me, I was guilty. I'm like, man, I know very little about the Holy Spirit. And so I would say now it's trying to navigate the church I'm pastoring now by being open to the Holy Spirit's leading and direction. He's always speaking. The question is, am I turning the voices and volume in my head and the culture down enough that I can hear that still small voice of God speaking? So that's Mm -hmm. kind of where we're at now at Long Hollow. Yeah, that's fantastic. And as you mentioned, I... I was privileged uh, to be at Long Hollow worshiping one Sunday right before the Southern Baptist Convention there in Nashville. My wife and I were there, uh, some things going on in our lives, and you had everyone who was a guest uh, in ministry stand up that Sunday morning, and you had people in the church come around and lay hands on those of us who were standing. And I got to tell you, man, um, your members were praying things for me and my wife and our family. Um, that they they could not have known apart from the Holy Spirit, and it was it was such an edifying uh, and ministering time. So I am grateful to God for what He's done and is doing in your church, and how we experienced the Spirit of God moving that that Sunday. So we've got these kind of two two things going on. You've written. Uh, so much and contributed so much and blessed the church with so much on processes for disciple making, procedures and uh, methods. Uh, and then we've got the Holy Spirit doing this incredible work. Uh, and we we see these two kind of streams. And a lot of times when I'm talking to leaders, they're, they're frustrated that we talk so much about methodology and not enough about God or we're always talking about the movement of the Spirit, but we're not talking about processes. Uh, you seem to have uh, figured out at Long Hollow how to operate with these things going hand in hand. So can you talk about that for a minute? How does, Holy, how does the Holy Spirit and our disciple-making processes, how do they fit together? Yeah, and I would say this is something I, I'm learning and I'm still learning even to this day. If you would have asked me the first time I came to the conference uh, back in 2015, I think it was, mm-hmm. I was very dogmatic. I was very um, structured and uh, confident in the system that Replicate we had done. I mean, and honestly, in defense, I had implemented this system in a small church of 65 people, South Louisiana. By God's grace, it grew not only spiritually, but numerically. Then I went to Brainerd in Chattanooga, where we first met, and done the same thing there. Very different church, more of a structured choir, orchestra, uh, full suit when I was preaching in, although we did have a contemporary service. We had a traditional as well. Did it there, and it worked. And so now I had two different churches under my, quote, belt that, I thought this was, so it's pretty dogmatic. This is the way it's supposed to work. 
And then I go to Long Hollow. And when I came to Long Hollow, Long Hollow was a highly evangelistic church, larger in size, but highly evangelistic. The, the DNA of our church was to lead people to Jesus and see him baptized. And so uh, I knew they had a discipleship deficit. The search team even told me that when I was interviewing. Uh, when I was in the interview process, Brian, the search committee asked me, uh, how do you feel about coming into a church that's significantly larger than the church you're at? And not only numerically larger, but we baptized, this is what they asked me, in 2013, over a 1,000 people. In 2014, we baptized almost a 1,000 people, 987. Now we're in the 2015, and they said, how do you feel about coming into a church of that size? Now, I was overwhelmed. I didn't even heard of churches doing anything like that. And I was like, wow, praise God. And I asked them a question, and praise God for their honesty. I said, what did you do with the people? So you get 2,000 people in two years. What did you do with the people? And again, they were they were open and vulnerable. And they said, they looked around and they said, wow, that's what we want to talk to you about. Because we feel like we haven't grown numerically at all. Well, I went back and checked the numbers. And this is not an indictment on Long Hollow. Go do it at your church. If you're right. listening, go, watch, go look at your structure. If you check the numbers during those two years of baptizing 2,000 people, we were essentially plateaued. Now, Again, Long Hollow had some challenges. Their pastor, my predecessor, was sick, and so right. he went through cancer. So I get all those things. But then I realized that's not an anomaly to the local church. Most churches, I know this is yours because it was mine, see people going out the back door as fast as they're coming in the front door. And so what I realized when I came here is all that to say they needed discipleship, but they weren't ready for it. And I could talk for hours about lessons I've mm -hmm. learned on how to implement this, but I will say this. One of the things I realized about Long Hollow, and it's the challenge of most churches in America, and here's the line, the greatest, and I speak this to you listening personally, the greatest problem in your ministry is that you don't know what the greatest problem is. Mm. I'll say it another way. The greatest challenge in your church is that you don't know what the greatest challenge is. So the very cancer that is eating you from the inside out, use a metaphor of a person, that is unaware of in your life is the very challenge and hurdle that you can. So what you do is you address that thing first and you start working on it. And so for most churches, that thing that is uh, an issue is the lack of disciple making. You're not creating men and women who feel confident enough to read the Bible for themselves and equip others to do the same. And so uh, I would just say when I got to Long Hollow, the greatest gift God gave me was that it didn't work here. <laughs> At first, we grew for when I first got here, we had a handful of people. Year two, I think we grew to like 600 in D groups. Year, year three, we grew to like 1150. And I'm starting to do the math in my head like, okay, we're at 1200 next year, we'll be at 3000 next year. We'll be, you know, and I'm doing the math exponential growth. And from I think we're actually 1500, actually, year three, went to 1500. And from year three to year four, I started to do an audit on the groups. I, I grew the groups, I take credit for this. From fifteen hundred back to seven fifty, roughly, right? <laughs> right. And here's and here's why: because we realized discipleship groups, D groups, were the cool thing that the new pastor brought in, and so let's try it. You know, let's do it. And so we found that a lot of groups were meeting on Sunday night, watching football, and eating pizza, and yeah. calling it a D group. Now, you know, that's part of it, but it's way more than that. And so the group started to fall apart. People started to leave the church. And one of the things I realized is that, and here's the big shift in replicate in our discipleship um, instruction now at this point, you have to contextualize discipleship 
and I would say discipleship that leads to evangelism and missions, mm-hmm. you have to contextualize it to your church. So what works in Nash- North Nashville, Tennessee, is not going to work in Riley, North Carolina. It's not going to work in Union, South Carolina. It, it's not going to work in California. But there's some principles, some guardrails we can give you, which is what we do now. And we let you contextualize it. You figure out what will work the best in your church. So that's the big shift, I would say, at Long Hollow and even from 2015 to now. Yeah, I love you talking about principles or guardrails, as you say, uh, because one of the challenges, obviously, we do have is often we we look at larger churches, larger membership churches um, for our models, and then we have a hard time building a bridge to the reality that most of us are pastoring in. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about some of those guardrails. I know you're going to talk about this in detail at the conference, but just give us give us a couple of those. So one of the things, and I, and I do encourage you at the conference to go uh, hear Vic Green, who leads our ministry, and he's a master. He's got a spiritual gift of whiteboarding. Uh, you know, he never <laughs> leaves home without a marker and an eraser, we joke. But, uh, yeah. but anyway, one of the things, one of the ways to think of it is this. The, the results you get, so every person here pastoring a church, grant church is not a business, but it's an organism, and it has structures and systems and processes. It has to. The larger the church, the more intricate, right? So basically, the way we look at it is this. You have, a, you have an operating system, to use a cell phone terminology. You have an operating system that basically determines how your church functions and grows and, and works and reaches people. The, the results you're getting in the church or the lack thereof in producing disciples is a direct result to the process you have mm-hmm. in place mm-hmm. or lack thereof. Most pastors that I talk to in most churches will say, you know, you know, what are you talking about? This is our vision. Love God, love the world, reach people for the glory of God. Love God, love the world, make disciples. And we're like, great. That sounds great. But the question is, how do you do that? Well, I preach on Sunday and I've got life groups. Okay. Is it a, is it a connected process or a siloed process? Is it a step-by-step thing or is it a random? See, and, and what we realize is, as you start to pull the layers back on the process in your church, you realize that we don't have a process at all. Mm-hmm. And as Bill Hall used to say, the great disciple-making author, he used to say, if you don't have a plan, you don't intend to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah. And so I would say the first thing is a plan. So we work with churches. And we counsel pastors and say, here's the deal. You need to have a process for moving someone from new believer, far from God, to a healthy disciple who makes disciples. And here's the thing you got to remember. You're not making disciples until the disciple you've invested in, in turns, disciples someone else. Yeah. That disciple making only happens when the mentee then becomes a mentor and disciple someone else. If you only just invest in people and they never replicate, you have spectators and not participators. The movement of Jesus would have never reached us today. So you got to remember, you're not making disciples until the person you've invested in in turn disciples someone else. So that's the first thing. The second thing we talk about is um, the guardrail is you got to figure out where you're going. Mm-hmm. So if you and I don't have uh, a place we're heading to, then we never know when we arrive and we don't know success when we get there. And so one of the exercises we do with churches is called the dream disciple. And I would ask you, if you're listening, that, that people say, Hey, we want to make disciples. Tell us how you're doing that at long hollow. We say, great. Let me ask you a question. What kind of disciple are you intending to create? Well, what do you mean? What is a faithful member of long hollow look like? What is a faithful woman at long hollow look like? You know, do, are they, 
biblically adept? Do they have a passion for the nations? Are they trying to play? See what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. most people don't mm-hmm. even know that. And so that's mm-hmm. another thing we walk them back on. But you see, it's a process. Right. It's not me coming in saying, well, your disciple needs to be in the word, passport in hand. You know, that's what we think. But that's maybe not what you believe. So that's where contextualization and guardrails and parameters are very helpful, as opposed to years ago when I would say this is the you know younger Robbie years ago was dogma. <laughs> this is the only way to make disciples. You know, you know, yeah. the older yeah, you get, the, awesome, the more you realize, the less you know. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But that's awesome, man. I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that on February 20th. So let's take a quick break right now and hear a word uh, about that conference that's coming up. Most ministry leaders are squeezed into a mold of measuring success by what happens at church on the weekend. What if your church was known more for multiplying disciples than adding worship attenders? Join us for the 2023 Disciple Making Conference on Monday, February 20th at Calvary Baptist Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You will be inspired and equipped to become a church on mission to win, build, and send missional disciples. Register and learn more at disciplemakingconference.org. And I can't wait to see all of you in Winston-Salem on February the 20th. So, Robbie, you talked about having a passport in hand. That's something that's kind of uh, in the DNA of what we hope is happening in North Carolina. We, we aspire as NC Baptists to be a movement of churches that are on mission together. That's what, we're, that's what we're calling our churches to. We believe we don't do this by ourselves. In fact, the convention is only a collection of churches. We are, we're not an entity aside from our churches. We want to be a movement of churches that are on mission together. And we believe sending is a key part of that mission, obviously, that uh, that we want our churches to be a part of multiplying everything and sending people across the street or to, to the ends of the earth. So when you think about disciple-making as a process, uh, I, know, I know when I was growing up, discipleship uh, seemed to have an, an end point to it that, that stayed local or stayed inward. So Tell me how you personally and how at Long Hollow you connect this process of disciple-making to the concept of sending. Yeah, I think uh, an illustration helps me. So it's the so we try to tell our, our, our the guys I mentor and even leaders, you got to think the difference between a tour guide and a travel agent, okay? So a travel agent is what most or, or some churches normally think of discipleship. You go to a travel agent, you call, they tell you, this is where I would go. They book the trips for you. They do all the work behind the scenes. They give you your itinerary and you go on the journey yourself and then never speak to them again. That's normally what most people think of when they think of discipleship. A tour guide's different. A tour guide, yes, will plan the trip, but the tour guide actually goes with you. Mm -hmm. The tour guide actually points out the important parts of the tour. The tour guide is embedded in the process and then the tour guide is along the journey. And that's the difference between the disciple making process, I think. I think so often we have just dictated from a distance and told people how to make disciples. We haven't given given them a compelling why. And here's the big one. We haven't expected them to replicate the process as well. And so I would say that's that's one of the things we do from the start is we teach our people from the beginning. You're not the end in and of itself, that this is a journey that you're going to think of it this way. It's the difference between direction and destination. 
If the destination mm-hmm. is just finishing the book and checking the boxes along the way in the Bible reading plan, then it's over. But if you teach them, hey, this is a journey that we're on together, we're going to walk this thing together, then you're constantly walking and you never arrive. And so I think expectations on the front end really help with that. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So so putting that into a sending culture idea of destinations, not finishing the book, right? It's a journey that you're on together. So when you continue to think about that, how do you see that playing out in Long Hollow? Uh, is it international missions? That's a passion. Is it church planting? How is a sending culture being developed there at Long Hollow? Yeah. So we've had um, a goal to plant a church every year since I've been here. So we have currently, since I've been here, I think we've planted six churches. Uh we used to do more internship, raise them up and send them out more one a year. Now we do three or four a year where we do a mm-hmm. little less financial support, but more invest. What we found is they don't need necessarily finances, although they do need that for church planning, but they need relationships. They need uh, support. They need investment. Uh, they need somebody who's going to talk to them after they launch. And so uh, I think it's just an expectation of the culture here at Long Hollow. We, we're trying to constantly raise up a culture that's sending out. Yeah. And I think, you know, missions is a great vehicle for that. I mean, obviously, Larry Osborne told, told me this years ago, he said, uh, taking someone on a short or long-term mission trip is an opportunity to allow them to act differently than they normally would. <laughs> it basically gives them an excuse to act different. Meaning they're not the business owner or the CEO or the stay-at-home mom or the father or the coach. Now they could be Robbie. And when you're Robbie and you don't have to have any pretense or approval seeking, then you can put yourself in an environment maybe to hear God you wouldn't before. And so I think we use short and long-term mission opportunities to give people a taste for the nations. And so, um, yeah. And I think that replication from the beginning mindset drives that. If discipleship is just an end in of itself, it's just an end. Remember, I talk about this all the time. Discipleship and evangelism are two oars in the same boat. Mm-hmm. If you only have the oar of evangelism, which we've had for many years, we create a bunch of decisions, a bunch of converts, a bunch of Christians, and we row in a circle, which is probably why we're in the situation today with, with a bunch of a generation of people from parents when they were raised in the 90s that didn't teach them why they believe what they believe. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of people who went to college and even today students go to college and the teacher says, is it six literal days or six uh, million years? And the student can say, Jesus loves me. This I know. Mm-hmm. It's all they know. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't have a defense for the hope that's within them. So yeah. uh, I think that's the, that's the scenario we, we've got ourselves in today. But if you have the discipleship or no evangelism or then you just row in a circle. So you got a bunch of guys quoting scripture and memorizing the word and talking about but you never reach anybody. And it's like uh, I've said before, it's like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. Right. The ship's going down. You could do whatever order you want. We're all going down if the church is the ship. And obviously it won't go down, but you, you get my point. Gotcha. So the reality is you need both. And so we try to go in and help churches build this kind of robust, holistic approach to the, the evangelism war and the discipleship war. And so we've created a quadrant system of what kind of micro group will be beneficial for your church. And the four quadrants are e-groups, evangelism groups, discipleship groups on the right, evangelism on the left, discipleship on the right. And the different quadrants are the top group is more structured and more um, 
church influence where the bottom group is more open and lenient, meaning you can uh, you can do what you want depending on the sake of the group. And so we realize you need those four options depending on what church you have. For example, if you have a church of no disciple makers, then you can't form discipleship groups. So the first group is evangelistic. So it's more evangelistic. So you get a bunch of guys around a fire to talk about how to be a man in the home or be a, a better father. They'll do that evangelistically. Uh, but then you move them to a more in-depth group that may say, hey, I want to learn the Bible. I want to study study scripture. Depending on where the group is, that's where you go in the quadrant. So mm-hmm. that's another tool we use. And I think Vic may teach some of that at the conference. Yeah, I hope so. That's that's great. So speaking of the conference, you know, again, just really grateful that you're coming back to be with us uh, because you were here several years ago. And um, I would just love for you to just kind of give us a little taste, a preview of what can people expect to hear? You're going to be speaking twice, uh, and then we have a ton of breakouts going on in between your your talks. But what can people expect to hear from you that day? Yeah, I'm going to go down uh, two different avenues uh, with our time. The first one will be very practical. It'll create an awareness. I'll put a push a, a pain point in your ministry, and basically I'm going to talk about the different myths we believe or buy into as pastors that cause us to think we're making disciples when we're actually not. For example, one of the myth, one of the myths is the activity myth versus the, um, uh, the uh, transformation myth. So just because someone has a lot of cars in the parking lot or a t- big attendance on Sunday or life group attendance growing, just because you have bodies in a room doesn't mean you're transforming people into the image of Christ. It's the big myth we bought into. And there's a bunch of other myths that we'll talk about as well. The training myth versus the equipping myth and or the teaching myth and talking about how pastors have always believed that I disciple from the pulpit. And this is this is how I disciple my people. Well, preaching is the centerpiece of discipleship, but it's not the only piece. And so, Pastor, if you think you're going to make disciples the kind of way Jesus expected in the Bible for preaching alone on Sunday— I think you're sadly mistaken, and I don't even think Jesus, and I could prove it multiple times, how Jesus bypassed the great uh, Colosseums of his day, one particularly in Caesarea, if you've been there, and never preached there one single time. Why? Because he's not a Western American evangelist. He's a first century Jewish rabbi, as you can see, I get pretty excited about that. So he was on to something else, right? So that's the first talk, the myths. The second talk, or vice versa, I don't know which order, is about me personally. And I'm going to talk about how God had to strip away areas of sin and pride and arrogance and self-reliance and jealousy in my own life mm-hmm. uh, for 10 months during COVID when, when I was examining my own life for an hour to two hours a night on the porch leading up to, which I've never experienced anything like this, the greatest God-given move of his spirit I've ever encountered or seen in my life where for the next 15 weeks of the first part of 2021, we saw over a thousand people baptized mm-hmm. in 15 weeks. Just hard to wrap your mind around that. And all, and right under 1600 for the year. And I tell you that not to impress you, but to show you, and I'm going to share this. What did God have to do in me and on me mm-hmm. before he could ever work through me? And mm-hmm. the question I'm going to, I'm going to ask you is the question the Lord really asked me, are you the blood clot to revival? coming to your church. And the reason I can ask that the way I can is because I know I was. Mm-hmm. And so, right, that's what Man. I'm going to do. I'm going to share. Man. I'm going to share some of that. So, And then call pastors to come forward and beg God for revival and repent of 
of arrogance and pride and all that. So anyway, really excited about it. Man, I can't wait for that. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying for a revival in our state that would see God moving and propelling people uh, to be on mission with him. So thank you for uh, investing time today. Thanks for coming in a few weeks, man. We're, we're really pumped about having you and praying that the Lord would do a mighty work. Looking forward to your story. Looking forward to all the tools that you'll be bringing, that Vic from your team will be bringing, and a host of others that we have leading breakouts that day. So if your church is interested in going to the Disciple Making Conference, go to disciplemakingconference.org right now to sign up. It's going to be breakout sessions, large group sessions, a great time to visit together there at Calvary Baptist in Winston-Salem. So we hope we see all of you there on February the 20th. Robbie, thank you so much for your investment today. Thanks for uh, blessing us with your visit in a few weeks. And North Carolina Baptist, thanks for tuning in today to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org give.